Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. Thanks for having me, everybody. Woohoo! Sweet. Yeah, so we uh, give you a little backstory here. First of all, I'm so honored and thrilled to be up here sharing with you today, and uh, uh-oh, I missed something, and really excited to be up here, so um, honored and thrilled for a few different reasons. Um, just to give you a little bit of backstory, a little fun backstory, is uh, the vineyard, and then this church in particular, uh, I have a, a really fun backstory with. So um, yes, we moved out here in 2016 to start a church. That's been a whole lot of up, down, and all around. And uh, some of you guys that have been hanging out with me for a little while have been part of that journey. Uh, but I was born in Miami, Florida, and my parents, Jim and Christy Bricker, they were from Indianapolis, Indiana, and my dad was an associate pastor at a church, and he felt like God called him to start a church in Miami, Florida. So they packed up, moved to Miami, and they were impacted by the vineyard movement back in the 80s and um, decided that they wanted to plant a church with the vineyard. They'd heard about this John Wimberg character and uh, went to a couple meetings and had some pretty awesome encounters and decided that they were going to, uh, you know, turn in my dad's uh, Pentecostal ordination for vineyard ordination. And uh, apparently when you do that, you get a pair of jeans, a Hawaiian shirt, right? Yeah, yeah, flip-flops. All of a sudden, communion's not just grape juice, it's something much better. And uh, they started to gather people together in Miami, and they decided to just get connected to the local vineyard there. Vineyard was just getting started in the southeast region, and so my dad met a guy who was the regional leader at the time and ended up going on staff at the Fort Lauderdale Vineyard for two years before starting the Miami Vineyard. And the gentleman that started the Fort Lauderdale Vineyard was a guy named Jack Little. So, if any of you uh, know Jack, so uh, I don't know if that's, that's just part of my story, so I'm going to tell it, Ron. So, so, uh, so, so here's, the, here's the connection piece. So my dad in the, in the 80s was in Florida planting the church with Fort Lauderdale Vineyard, a guy named Jack Little. Jack moved back to Southern California and somewhere in the 90s, in 90, this church, right? 95, so I don't know, I was born in 89, so to some of you guys that was yesterday, to me that's been a long time ago, no, no shade, uh, so he started this church in 95, this guy Jack Little, so Jack Little is the founding pastor of the church that we're in right now, and he is the very first person that my dad was on staff at and really got acclimated to the vineyard with, and so uh, I'm a pastor's kid, born up in the, raised in the vineyard church, and it's just incredible uh, to be able to be here and sharing at a church that was, uh, has so much history just in my tradition and just the personality and the character uh, of Jack. So Jack doesn't live here anymore, but what's fun is, just a lo- another connection, when we decided that we were going to move to San Diego to start the church, um, I said, you know, let's go to San, uh, San Marcos. And we didn't, we've never been to North County, San Diego before. We were visiting Lindsay's sister. Her brother-in-law was a uh, Marine, and he was not at Camp Pendleton. He was down living in Point Loma, so we knew that area well. And we just sort of looked at a map, and we're like, I don't know, San Marcos, that looks cool. Let's move there. And uh, I told my dad, who was like, you know, basically holding my shirt to not let me leave, uh, but he said, hey, I think Jack lives in that area. And lo and behold, he lived in San Marcos at the time. He lives in Arizona now, and he really showed us the area. So again, just more lineage and history uh, that connects me to this church and the movement that's really exciting. So uh, I'm excited to be talking today about the kingdom of God. And when Ron asked me to speak, I was uh, suffering for Christ in Cabo San Lucas a few weeks ago. <laughs> and I got invited by a friend to go down there, and he says, hey, we're doing this men's retreat thing. The only thing that you need to do is play golf halfway decent. That's the only requirement. So I'm like, that's a tall order, but it's free, so (laughs) I'll be there. And they said, okay, so the theme of the week, though, that we're going to be talking about is the kingdom of God. I'm like, great. 
So I'm down there talking about it. I get a text from Ron. Hey, would you be interested in speaking on the 20th? Absolutely. So we had coffee last week, and I said, Ron, I'm thinking about talking about the kingdom of God. Are you okay with that? You know, and he's like, of course I'm okay with that. Do you even have to ask? So we're talking about the kingdom of God today. And the kingdom of God is a big subject. It's a really big subject. And uh, it's like a big diamond. I stole this from my kids. Borrowed it from my kids. The kingdom of God is like a big diamond. A big diamond that has a lot of angles, a lot of sides, a lot of ways that we can describe it and think about it and comprehend it. And today my hope is that I show you an angle of the kingdom of God that maybe you've never seen before, and that it is an angle that will completely, hopefully, transform the way that you experience God, choose to live and move and have your being, and live life in a completely new and transformed way. So, if you're in to learn more about that, to learn more about the kingdom, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm in. If you're still unsure about the wannabe Jesus-looking guy, just hang tight. People say, you look like Jesus. I'm like, there's nobody else I'd rather look like. You know? I stole that one from Lonnie Frisbee, another throwback. Anyways, so uh, Jesus' central message, the central message of the kingdom is the kingdom of God. Jesus' central message is not systematic theology. The central message of Jesus, contrary to popular belief, is not afterlife. The central message of Jesus is not necessarily love. The central message of Jesus is the kingdom of God. Now, before you pick up any stones, it does result in that. That is evidence of. That is the way that we see the kingdom of God become manifest, and that does impact the way that we think about that, comprehend that. But Jesus' central message is the kingdom of God. Over 168 times, if memory serves me correct, Jesus talks about the kingdom in the Gospels. And so, sure, this is the evidence of it, but Jesus' central message, he confirms this within himself. We have all these debates and ideas about what Jesus came to talk about, but he tells us himself. It's best to just listen to the guy himself. What does he have to say? Luke 4, 43 Jesus tells these people, and it's early on, right, in the gospel, early on, from the very get-go, he says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other cities also. I was sent for this purpose. The purpose of Jesus was to proclaim this kingdom of God. Well, what is the kingdom of God? If the kingdom of God is so central to Jesus, why is it so cryptic? Why is he always talking about it in parables and riddles and metaphors and analogies? If it's his very purpose, why doesn't he just come out and just tell us, this is what it is, man. Y equals MX plus B. Be much easier that way, right? But Jesus invites us into the grand, vast reality of the kingdom of God that I believe transcends language, time, space, culture, tradition, opinion, preference, Attachment, aversion, all of these things. And he brings us into this grand big narrative of the kingdom. Jesus never defines the kingdom, but always describes the kingdom. Why is that? So, a couple things that I think would be interesting to note about the kingdom as we get into this today. We're going to start with really engaging some of the head and in, in bringing into a different way of seeing and then we're going to bring it more into an application because what does it all matter if you can't actually do something every day with it, right? So we'll start with the head, stick with me, and then we'll get to some actual life practices. Kingdom, what does that word even mean? What is the kingdom? A lot of times we think of the kingdom in terms of a medieval reality, some tyrant king sitting on a throne with all these peasants around him that are begging for mercy and forgiveness, that has authority to throw you into the dungeon, And that can be a helpful, again, that can be, when redeemed, a helpful angle of describing the kingdom. But I think there's some more modern ways of thinking about the kingdom based on the actual definition of the word itself that even science can help us look at what does it mean when Jesus talks about the kingdom. Well, the kingdom literally translates rule or reign. But Ron's your pastor, so you probably already knew that. 
So it translates rule or reign. What is a rule or a reign? Sure, we can look at the medieval way for that, but a rule and a reign is something that could also be described as some other synonyms for that word, which is a realm or a dimension of reality or a plane of existence. I don't know. He's far out. Should we keep listening? that there are some other modern synonyms that we can use to describe the nature of what we mean by living into a divine realm of existence in this very world. I think that there's some modern uh, theories and thoughts that can help us better look at this. We're not going to dig into this too deeply, probably because I don't fully get it all yet, but the quantum field theory, if you want to get really nerdy, The quantum field theory, I think, can be a way that really helps us understand this kingdom that Jesus seems to be talking about. This theory is that there is an invisible, eternal, atmospheric realm or rule or reign in our midst that has unlimited potential at any given time that's activated by means of a proportion of energy, right? Your your thought, your actions, whatever you set your mind on, everything that affects the waves or the frequency, much like a TV or a radio, you know. I tell that in youth groups, and they're like, I don't, I don't know what you mean. You, you mean tablet or iPhone, right? No. But it affects everything around us with just the smallest proportion of energy to impact, affect, or engage with it. So, what does that mean for us? It can manifest into our physical lower world by means of this participation, or I like to say aligning with, energetically in a vibrational frequency way. And I understand that seems a little odd or indifferent, but what Jesus seems to be talking about, we're going to look at a few verses here to sort of understand what Jesus is talking about, that even the smallest seed, the smallest bit of faith, quantum literally means a small proportion, the smallest little bit that can impact and infiltrate our world today The point is is that the quantum field can absolutely radically transform from the invisible what we see, recognize, and experience in the physical realm. Some biblical language for this would be righteousness is the way that you engage this. The word righteousness literally means in accordance with, to live in accordance with. So living in accordance with this divine realm of perfect order, the kingdom of heaven, the heaven that is in us, around us, with us, heaven also literally means the skies above. So literally the atmosphere that is around us, not some distant place, not some place that is far off and away from us, but rather this this existence of reality that is in our midst, the heaven, meaning the, the sky around us, that how we engage with God's perfect order transforms and transcends the way that we see, touch, feel, think, care, act, believe, all of these things. So righteousness is a way that we can manifest God's kingdom into this present realm and reality. Another word would be holiness. Set apart from is what holiness means. Not necessarily set apart from all the people who you think are bad or other than you, but a set-apartness from a different way of living and being, that there is the world, there is this present evil age, there is the earth, there's the principalities, the dominion, all of the things that exist on this layer and plane of reality, and then there is a realm of divine, perfect order of benevolence, love, joy, peace, the fruit of the Spirit existing, right simultaneously with that. And so when you are... expressing in holiness, you are setting yourself apart from the present age of this world and engaging and enacting and corresponding with the kingdom, the quantum kingdom, and bringing into the physical what is unseen in the spiritual. Are you tracking with me? Okay, thanks. So, I know I was telling Lindsay, I'm like, to try to explain this in 30 minutes is so whatever. I wish I had like a year to talk about it. Okay, so with that, I believe the way that we understand this though And I understand this might create some questions for us of how this actually works, and uh, we can create more dialogue around this later, but this sort of dimension, this kingdom dimension that exists in a parallel, simultaneous way that is available and accessible to us, 
to anyone who has eyes to see and ears to hear can be engaged with with just the smallest seed of faith. Now, I don't think that, I should mention too, pay attention to your notes, man. Uh, When Jesus is doing this, this is what we see when Jesus is healing, right? He's transcending the physical laws of nature with a different reality coming into this and transforming it into perfect wholeness. When Jesus walks on water, he's defying what is known to be logically true about how this world operates and exists. When Jesus transcends death, the physical death itself, where he has the power to lay down his body and pick it back up, he transcends the physical realm of reality by means of the dimension of the kingdom that is over all, in all, and through all, that shows up with presence and power, okay? It's a lot. But hey, that's, that's, uh, that's why we all come around here, right? Because this man, fully God, fully man, showed us this, realized this. We created amazing things because he told us to go and to do just like this and gave us power to do it as well, which I'm getting ahead of myself. We're able to do these things too. So I believe once we realize this, that it transforms the way that we know God. Why is this even important? This isn't just some trippy stuff to talk about. Why is this important? It transforms this angle, this way of seeing the kingdom in this other way. It transforms the way that you know God intimately. It transforms the way that you see God's kingdom and presence all around you. It transforms the way that you worship God. It transforms the way that you engage and believe, etc., etc. It also transforms the way that you know and realize your identity as participating with this kingdom by means of the power of the Spirit at all times. Transforms the way that we literally participate with God in the ongoing healing of the world. So let's read a few verses. So it's not just some dude up here ranting and raving. Uh, some scripture that confirms this. Remember, this is just one bite size of the kingdom. This is one, one angle that we're talking about. If we're going to look up everywhere that Jesus talks about the kingdom, we'll be here until the small group that's happening here tonight. So first, the kingdom of God is not of this world. Let's read a couple of verses about that. The kingdom of God is not of this world. A lot of times that we forget that. Sometimes we get so caught up and we get sucked into the kingdoms of this world and which one is right, which one could be done better, which one's the answer, which one's the true way that we can be a benevolent presence in the world. There's only one kingdom that can fully do that, and it's a kingdom that doesn't exist in this realm of existence. Jesus, 1836, says, my kingdom is not of this world. I don't know. He talks about things in riddles and metaphors in a lot of places. Not here. (laughs) It's very clear. My kingdom's not of this world. Jesus talks to his disciples. He says, you are from below. And he's not saying you're from, you know, some underworld place. He's just saying this plane, this understanding, the way that their logic is, right? Nicodemus, the first, uh, you know, uh, another verse we're going to talk about is Nicodemus, like, do I crawl back in my mother's womb? It's very logical and linear. That's the way we understand this plane of reality. So you are from below, this earthly, worldly realm of existence, Jesus says, I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. An otherworldly reality. We may use some modern language. I don't know, may not get invited back in. Jesus says, I am from the quantum realm. All right, keep going, Luke. You want to be invited back. (laughs) The kingdom is, number two, always accessible and never distant. Always accessible and never distant. A lot of times we think of the kingdom, because we hear the kingdom of heaven. We hear that through Matthew a lot. We think of something far off, distant, after we die, someday, that we might be able to get to if we are somehow within us good enough and, you know, eat our peas and carrots and wash behind our ears, you know. It's always ever present. It's It's a reality that is available fully here and now. Luke 17, 21, second part of that verse says, For in fact, the kingdom of God is within or among you, depending on which translation you like. I like within. 
personally. Footnote, because wherever I go, there I am. And wherever I am, I know that the kingdom is with me. I don't have to go to a temple or a synagogue or a church. We are the body of Christ, right? It's always within. It's always among. For in fact, he says, the kingdom of God is within you or among you. Number three, the kingdom is a mystery, not plainly seen by everyone from this plane, from this vantage point. You ever wonder, like, you know, you, you look at old paintings and Jesus seems to be walking around with a big halo and you're like, how did people not know, you know? It's like, well, because if that was true, we would have a much different history. People won't always see from this vantage point, from this reality. It's a mystery. It's not plainly seen by everyone. Jesus in John 3.3, this is the famous talking to Nicodemus passage, one of my favorite passages in the scripture. We could hang there for a long time. But very truly, I tell you, no one, no one can see the kingdom of God, the dimension of the divine reality, without being born from above. No one will see it without being born from above. And then, again, Nicodemus goes on to have some very logical, linear thinking. Jesus is like, no, man, where the Spirit blows, where the wind blows, there it is. But you're going to have to have eyes to see and ears to hear it. It's a mystery. This is a verse that really, really is odd, too. Don't you love talking about odd verses? All right, Luke 8, 10. Uh, He said, to you, he's talking to his disciples, his devotees, it has been given to know the secrets or mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to others, I speak in parables, so that looking, they may not perceive, and listening, they may not understand. Why so cryptic, Jesus? Why is it so mysterious? Why is this such a secret? Why, looking that they may not perceive and listening they may not understand, why would you want that? I thought that you, and this is many of his disciples, I thought that you were coming to overthrow this evil government. Don't we want to rally the troops? You can't be saying that you don't want people to get it if you're rallying troops. He says, I'm taking over in a different way. It's a mystery. Number four, the kingdom of God is not in empty words, but in power. Not a quote from Jesus, but from Paul, we see 1 Corinthians 4.20, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Not a matter of talk, but of power. And the thing is, many of us, we have gotten so accustomed to listening to words and having stories told to us but not actually realizing that it's tangible, accessible for each and every one of us to walk in with this power, to walk with a particular authority to pull down from the kingdom realm into our physical realm of reality. We, each and every one of us, have power to do so. Logical words, again, only go so far in the realm of the unseen. And I know that we're talking about things that might seem even esoteric or spiritual. But even Paul says, we speak spiritual things to spiritual people. The invitation for you is to realize that there is something bigger that is happening in our midst. There is something that is not so tangible and linear that you're invited into that literally shapes and changes the foundations and structures of everything around us, around us emotionally, relationally, in our cities, that we are invited into something that has immense power, the change in the material from the material, immaterial, change in the material from the immaterial, that matter finds its origin in energy. And I know many of you hear energy and you're unsure, power, energy. My grandma used to say, I got to call the power company. It's like, well, San Diego General Electric, it's energy, power. Just think of it in terms of that way a little bit. And just think of it in terms of it changing literally the matter around you. Like how Jesus did, walked on water. That changed the matter around him. He, changed, he raised Lazarus from the dead. That tr- transformed the matter by means of the Spirit. We are able to access the Spirit and literally change matter 
around us. Experience and transcendence through life and practice is the kingdom's native indigenous language and tongue. It's beyond language. It's beyond time and space. So, got a, a few more notes, but I, I, I want to tell you a couple stories about this as some evidence. So, one story, man, I wish Michael was here. You guys like Michael? Okay. He's, I, I, I have a hard time with his last name. Yeah, I'm sure if I say it a few more times, I'll get it. He's, he's Michael to me, just, you know, Russ, we hang out with Michael and one of my most favorite people, man. He's awesome. So uh, one day we were uh, sitting over here at Petite Madeline's because we would get together on Wednesday mornings just to go out and, and see, see how the kingdom might break through into this present realm of reality. See how the dimension of the divine rule and order might want to transform what's happening here, right? So we go out to do that, and we are... Uh, we sp- split up into some groups, and actually Jennifer was with me. Jennifer was with me, and we walked down. We're walking around. It was me, Jennifer, and Michael, and we walked down towards the end of the pier. So you're here to fact check me, okay? So, yeah, this was, yeah, we, yeah. There's a little one of those bubbles, those annoying bubbles on Facebook, where it's like this was by an independent fact checker. Well, that's what they look like. That's a really bad analogy because I don't believe all of those. Don't get political. Uh, so we're walking around just seeing. We're like, God, give us eyes to see. And we don't approach just anyone and everyone because it's a mystery that will only be revealed by certain people. And so you need to have this thing called discernment to see what to do, right? If you're going to walk around and act like Jesus, then you're going to have to go around saying, I can only see what I see the Father in heaven doing, and I participate with that. Because if I go against that, then I'm, something really funky is going to happen. I've been there, scaring people away in Walmarts and things. It's bad news. But we're walking down to the end of the pier, and we see this guy. I've seen him out before a few times, and I'll never forget it. I have a really vivid memory. Again, independent fact checker, my wife will tell you. And he has these glasses, but one lens is popped out of the glasses. And he's laying down on a bench at the end of the pier, back where Ruby's used to be, RIP. And uh, so sad. Um, and we're walking there, and Michael just begins to talk to this guy. And he just sort of sits up, and he looks at Michael, and the one lens that's popped out, I just see this guy's eye, and it's like it's just black, like it's just completely black, and he just jumps up, and he has this big fish hook in his hand, and he starts just getting really aggressive with Michael, and really, immediately then, we back up, and we're like, we sense in the atmospheric, physical realm a clash of two different understandings and kingdoms that are coming in that place, and so immediately, we begin to, uh, we step back. Michael steps in. I'm like, I don't know what the East Coast taught you, man. But I'm from the Midwest. I just want to go retreat to the basement, you know. Uh, we have basements in the Midwest. Um, so we, we uh, immediately, we step back. Michael steps in. This guy's got this big fish hook. And his voice seems distorted. And it's He's very aggressive, and he starts telling Michael that he's going to kill him, and he needs to give back, and he recognizes the goodness that exists in and through Michael in that moment. And we begin to pray, and at that point in time, I was like, you know, I was just stepping back into a lot of this stuff, you know. I'd been very much through a deconstruction route and all of this, that, and the third, and, you know, even critical of some of these things. But when you're standing there in real time, and you're like, I don't know what to do, and you start praying, and then you start speaking in tongues, and you're like, okay, some, I don't know what to do about that, but the evidence is proving different than what I've been contemplating for the past three years. And we begin to pray, and all of a sudden, there isn't an actual breakthrough, but there is a layer of peace and calm after about five or ten minutes of praying that we're able to then exit ourselves from that situation. My point with that being is, in that moment, this present world realm of existence that is impacted and affected by means of intention, thought, will, what we've opened ourselves up to, what we've not, is creating a particular narrative and reality that is subject to otherworldly things, 
that this guy is living in. We come bringing a different sort of ruling realm and kingdom and authority, a dimension of benevolent good, and that becomes to be something different. When we begin to have a breakthrough of the kingdom of goodness into the kingdom of this world, and that's when we see something happen. And it shifted and changed the atmosphere of what was happening enough so that we could exit without any sort of confrontation. That is a change. That is a, 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 dare I even say, a frequency change in the room, in the pier, that changed how we were able to navigate the situation only by means of accessing the eternal, divine, spiritual, benevolent realm of the kingdom of God. And then we, you're able to, to shift what's happening here when you access what's going on here, okay? So another one uh, really quick, uh, Jamie Weston, he's probably uh, watching here. We were, again, at Petite's about to go out, and Jamie's knee was hurting him really bad, and we decided, Russ, Russ is like, well, let's pray for it, you know? He's always a man of belief, you know? And we're following him, and because, I don't know, maybe it's like, I wasn't going to. I, I, didn't, I just wasn't. Russ, like, let's pray for him. Like, you're probably right, you know? And so we start praying for him. As a matter of fact, probably because Russ's knee was healed the week before. Yes, his knee was healed. And so we're like, okay, well, let's, uh, you know, Russ was full of faith from that. So I'm like, oh, yeah, let's do it again, I, I suppose. And uh, so we start praying. But I, I had been toying with this idea through quantum field theory and being a nerd watching endless YouTube videos. <laughs> I don't know if I could recommend that or not, but... Uh, so I just start to, in the imaginal space of my mind's eye, start imagining the fruit of the Spirit in our midst. Love, joy, peace, patience, the fruit of, the manifestation of what a spiritual indwelling is. Imagining that and just gently pulling that down in my mind's eye, imagining it, and seeing the knee in my mind's eye. And all of a sudden, Jamie starts to feel well. I'm not saying I'm the only culprit. I think it's just it's a collective effort. And then the next thing you know, Jamie's walking with us down the street to do what we were called to go out and do. That is a bringing down from the invisible into the visible, the benevolent realm, the dimension of perfect divine order into fragmentation to create wholeness here as it is there. So, again, it's a collective effort. But just so you can see that, the imaginal realm using the mind's eye in that way. What point was this? Not in empty words, but in power. The power to bring heaven to earth. The power and authority to be able to do that. Uh, the kingdom of God is already but not yet. This is a, a famous vineyard sort of thing. Uh, 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve. We see in a mirror dimly, but then we'll see face to face. Now in part, but then I know just as I am also known. I shall know just as I am also known. So we live in these sort of parallel worlds that can exist simultaneously. Because we're like, we're experiencing healing and wholeness and transcendence and transformation and all of this goodness. Yet at the same time, we're experiencing fear and doubt and anxiety and worry and self-sabotage uh, 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 self and all of these things. Of this, how are both of these happening simultaneously? Well, we experience realities of, manifestations of, my tradition would say breakthroughs of this kingdom into the physical, but we live in a place where we have sort of one leg on each side of the fence. And both realities are true. And so we have the ability by means of mind's eye and visualization and participation and knowing authority to bring these things into the reality, but we also know that sometimes life's just really difficult. And sometimes things are just really hard. And sometimes faith is a lot like a fader switch instead of just a, a flip switch. But I believe that we have the ability knowing and, and really the comfort of knowing in the already but not yet that we are going to live in these two realities and that the purpose is that we are able to follow on a path of progress in our life, that we can look back and see where we have made progress in realizing the eternal in the physical, 
we can say that, you know, I'm more free today. I'm more whole today on the, on the path of progress towards becoming made into the full image and nature of Jesus. So it doesn't always happen quick, but we're invited into the process of salvation. Again, a word I want to define is sozo. Sozo is the word for saved or salvation. And this word, though, is not a, a one-and-done word. You know, we, especially here in the Christian tradition, we say, oh, yeah, I got saved back in 1978, you know, at a Billy Graham thing, you know, whatever. And it's like, it's not just a one-and-done thing. This is an ongoing process. This word sozo actually has an element to it of in process. It's a movement-based word. It's healing is literally what the word means. Healing, wholeness, becoming, being made whole, realizing who we are, our true identity. It's a, it's a process of becoming. And so with that, we know that we are on the process of becoming and that salvation is something that is not, that happens. It's something that extends over a whole lifetime. And it's a continuation process of continual becoming into complete wholeness. So, a few application tools. I have no idea how I'm doing time-wise, so I apologize. All right, sweet. Um, uh, we'll still just do the stuff here. It'll be fun. So, application tools. So, three ways that we can develop practices in our life. Because, again, none of this matters. It's all can sometimes feel very far out and atmospheric and, you know, in thought and theory, and we don't really have tools to shift and change the way that we actually live and move and have our being. And I would argue that it's way more easy and simple than trying to understand, you know, uh, quantum field theory. So the first thing is, and, and I always come back to this, and this is just, this is the essence of spiritual practice period, I believe, is surrender. Developing the practice of surrender. This is something that has been transformative in the way that I live, that I learn to do as Jesus did when he said, I can only see what my Father in heaven is doing, that the surrender of my will to the will of the Father. Another way that you could probably say this is that we have this ego within us that is always seeking to preserve, to protect, and project all the time. We have attractions, we have aversions, we're always going through with this ego that is trying to assert itself or retreat, and what we are invited into is to surrender that. Yield to what God is doing in the deep, true recesses of the heart where you find Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not by any other way, not by any other thing. Anything outside of us will never bring identity and transformation within us. If God is going to do a work within you, it's by going within to surrender to say, God, what are you already doing within me? What is the revelation and the realization you're already stirring within me? And I'm going to surrender all of the things that I keep grabbing to justify and quantify and define who I am and surrender to what God has already formed in you, who he's already formed in you to be. Because the thing is, the kingdom realizing this is often short-circuited by our ego. But God wants to make a transformation within you that transcends that, that seeks to preserve and protect. God wants to give you a particular faith and boldness and courage to be the unique fullness of who he's already created you to be and allow that to bloom and flourish into the fullness of life. And if you have a mustard seed of faith to do that, just the littlest bit, the most quantum little bit, a proportion of energy to believe what God is doing in you, then that becomes something that grows into being a tree where the birds can find nests and shade, and you become a benevolent presence to everyone else, not by means of your own, but by means of realizing who God has already formed you to be. And the way that we realize this, a couple real practical tools, is by meditation and prayer. These are some of the most fundamental things 
that we can access and use as tools to realize this. So let me bring definition to those two a little bit. And they're not really like this, you know, big sexy thing where you're going out and, you know, all this crazy stuff is happening around you. It begins way before that. If you're going to actually participate with what God is doing in the world, it's going to start way before you ever step foot out in the street. It'll follow you there too, of course, but you'll be way more equipped and prepared whenever you develop some very simple spiritual practices of meditation and prayer. Meditation clears the slate of our heart and mind. It readies the plate because sometimes we still have some of last night's dinner on our plate. Sometimes we still have some things. And what developing this practice of stillness does is it cleans it off and pushes everything off. People say that, oh, you're just sitting there doing nothing. And it's like, well, kind of, no thing. Yeah, no thing am I bringing into the place of accessing and realizing this conversation I'm about to have with the divine. Yeah, I don't want anything. I'm doing nothing exactly. I want to embody nothing that's going to bring any sort of of lens other than what God wants to truly speak to my heart through the divine dialogue of prayer. That's what prayer is. So we can develop these meditation practices, which I could talk about for a long time, but I won't, uh, and prayer practices that creates this divine dialogue Uh, perspective and insight is what we're seeking to have. And if we bring any of ourselves to that, if we don't surrender before that space, it can always be convoluted with with what our focuses are, with what our preferences are. And I don't know about you, but I only want to know what the divine preference is for my life. I don't want to go the other way. I want to be open to that. So uh, learning the art of surrender through the practices of meditation and prayer. Second, mindset. Develop the practice of mindset. Uh, Really developing the the mindset and the heart posture of awe and wonder. We need to recapture this idea of awe and wonder in our life. Not just this expectation business as usual, whatever it is. Really realizing that if the kingdom really is a a parallel reality of divine goodness that is ready at any time to be accessed and brought into my midst, that creates a level of optimism that we wouldn't have otherwise. There's an ability to listen to that and act on it. That creates a completely new way of looking at our life. And so 90%, and this is why thoughts are so important. Paul says, take every thought captive. Every thought captive. Because 90% of your thoughts are repetitive. They're habitual thoughts. 80% of your thoughts are negative. And we wonder why we aren't seeing and participating with what God is doing. Because we're always doing the same thing, thinking the same thoughts, expecting different results. We're always wondering why bad things are always happening to me or why God isn't using me in this way or that way. Well, because that is a negative thought. And there is power in shifting, having the ability. You've been given power and authority to shift the repetitive thoughts and the negative thoughts of your mind so that you can be able to walk into the fullness of the incarnation that is you. Jesus came in the fullness of his incarnation to fully embody and to empower you to live out the fullness of yours. You have been given this to have, and you've been given the ability to rewire your mental algorithm. If you click on a few things on your Facebook, all of a sudden you'll start getting things. Or like, I was wanting some running shoes, and so like I pulled up Instagram, I'm like, running shoes, running shoes, running shoes, running shoes. Because I knew it was going to catch the repetition of that algorithm, and all of a sudden, I'm going to get ads galore for it. Lo and behold, 12 hours later, sweet, all these brands of running shoes I never knew existed, you know? It's the algorithm. It's the expectation of what they think they being, you know, the the big weird cloud of unknowing that is the internet. They are wanting to get you to make a decision, a call to action, They want a call to action based on the algorithm, based on what you want. Well, here's the thing. It's brilliant. It's not something that we just created. God created this. 
at the base of your brainstem, you have a thing called the reticular activation system. And the reticular activation system, or RAS, spends all of its time filtering in what is pertinent and not pertinent based on where you put your conscious attention, where your awareness is. That's how it learns its algorithm. So that 20% of where you're actually thinking, it is filtering all of these things. We have all of this you know, overload of information. It's sorting out what's important, what's not important. We don't want that. We do want this. It's happening down here, and then you see it. And that's why whenever you're like, hmm, I kind of want this new car, and then all of a sudden, you're seeing that car everywhere. Has that happened to you? You're going car shopping, and you're like, I don't know what you like. I don't know. A yellow Fiat. I don't know. Uh, that wouldn't be my choice, but uh, all of a sudden, you're seeing those everywhere you go. That is your reticular activation system choosing to see what it's seeing going down the road to affirm your bias of where you've been thinking. So God has given you the ability to shift that, to change that, so that you can have a different algorithm to see what God is doing in your midst. The reason you may not be seeing what God is up to is because you've not dialed in the algorithm to see what the heaven realm looks like here on earth in your relationships, with your coworkers, in your business, in your, anywhere you go, in the grocery store. We're not expecting these things because 90% of our thoughts are repetitive and 80% are negative. So we're not expecting anything else to be surprising to us, to instill awe and wonder. We can develop the practice of a shift of mindset by utilizing our imagination. That's the most favorite way that I love to, to shift the algorithm of my mind is by sitting in a quiet place, stilling my mind, and imagining what goodness is in my marriage, within myself, as a parent. I have two kids. I forgot to mention as well. My wife's here, two kids hanging out, six and eight years old. What does it look like? Imagining the best possible outcome for what it means to live and move and have my being. Because so many of us are expecting the worst and we wonder why we get that. I want to have a divine insight, a divine revelation to participate with what God is doing in the world. And so utilizing the imaginal realm, we, we see imagination, we're like, that's kid stuff. Kids just imagine things, you know, whatever. But what if that imaginal space begins to actually shift the landscape of how you actually live in the world, what you actually experience. If you begin rehearsing conversations not based on what your argument is going to be like, but rather imagine what reconciliation looks like. Think about that. I'm telling you, practices, it's good stuff. Imagine it. Imagine it happening. Some people are like, yeah, but that's some like weird like woo-woo, law of attraction stuff, whatever. I don't know. Listen, what I do know is, again, what has happened in my life. And I know that whenever I imagine those things, I'm a better husband. I know whenever I imagine those things that I'm a better ambassador for an otherworldly benevolent kingdom than when I'm not. So uh, movement, that's another practice. Movement, and I'm coming, I'm wrapping it up, landing the plane, and uh, it's going to be fun. We're going to do a few things. So movement. Just really quickly, stagnant water that only receives and never gives becomes this weird cesspool of bacteria that if you drink it, you die. It's not good. There has to be some outlet for the water. When it rains a bunch and you got that weird puddle, I was just cleaning my uh, um, patio the other day because we had some friends over, uh, do a fire and you know, just have a, a good night of you know, hanging out. I have this grill cover that I was, for whatever reason, too lazy to put back on my grill, and I pulled it up, and all this nasty water came out, and it, like, stunk, and I'm like, I'm having friends over, and now my patio stinks, and whatever. So I'm out there spraying it off. Stagnant water that doesn't have a place to be released is always going to turn into something bad. It's not going to be something that is living water that brings life into our life. If we are always receiving but never releasing Somewhere down the line, there's going to be a little bitterness that might bring a little bit of death. So, that was heavy, man. Uh, 
God's kingdom is, is uh, realized when we are partnering with God's self in the ongoing healing of the world. Uh, last part on movement is to realize this. I've always heard God wants to work in you and through you. I'm like, yes, I believe that totally. But I think there's an extra little line. God wants to be, move in you, through you, and as you in the world. As you in the world. We are the living body of Christ in this transformative, transcendent way, right? The way that people see the face of Christ is by looking at your face. You are as God in the world. He has set up this thing and has empowered you to be an ambassador, to be a face and a representative. So not only does God want to transform things in you, not only does he want to move through you, but he wants to be as you in the world. What is your most natural way of showing up in the world? And how can this divine kingdom transform that into ultimate benevolent goodness? You are the body and the face of Christ in the world. And so pay attention to your natural instincts and hunches. People say the heart is wicked, it can't be trusted. Well, that's before you've recognized and realized your wholeness with God. If you're in this development of being in this relationship with God, you can begin to trust those instincts as divine. You can begin to trust those hunches that you have as divine, and you'll begin to have faith as you step out and begin to articulate and communicate these things to other people. How are you ever going to actually uh, do anything if you don't realize that you are the full realization of God to someone else, and that is how they get connected? And they become realizing of their wholeness also. So, my realization, my conclusion, my hope at the end of this is that what we realize is that this otherworldly kingdom that is over all, in all, through all, that is within us, that is among us, that is never distant, that that kingdom breaking into this present reality shifting and shaping this present reality that the kingdom breaking in is God's dream for the world. God's dream for the world is his kingdom being realized and manifest here and now. And each and every one of us are invited into that. Because did you know that we have been given the invitation to participate in the ongoing healing of the world? We are to participate in that. It's not done. It's not just happened back then. The invitation is that we actively engage, and he is looking for soft hearts. He's looking for ears that can hear, eyes that can see. And my hope is today that you would see God's dream for the kingdom being made manifest and orient your heart in complete union to God so that we can realize what heaven looks like breaking into earth. Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Will you respond to God's dream today? by orienting your life to the prayer of Jesus to realize heaven on earth. So we're going to pray for that because it, we can just talk about this and I can say it and you're like, yeah, that's kind of good and yeah, that's kind of weird and yeah, this is that and whatever, this, that, and the third. But until you have a direct experience with the living God, my words don't mean anything. This is about you having a direct connection Jesus came and he says, the day is coming where you will worship in spirit and truth. It's not going to matter if it's on that mountain. It's not going to matter if it's in the synagogue. I am eradicating all barriers to you having relationship with the Father. And that only comes through experience. So if you don't mind, stand with me. And um, we're just going to wait for a few moments on this presence that has been here with us the whole time to come and begin to shift in this place just as we were singing earlier and uh, we're singing and did you feel 
the change that's happening when people sing together and participate with each other. That changes the atmosphere of a place. This is what we're talking about. It's changing what's happening right here in our very midst. And that we can begin to orient ourselves towards this. So again, I just want to pray for, for spiritual sight, for soft hearts, that we would be able to fully grasp this and walk in power in our life. So, Holy Spirit, thank you that you are here and present. You have been the whole time. God, we thank you that your kingdom is at hand. We wait in stillness for just a moment. Ease our grumbling stomachs and busy mind for just a moment. God, we ask for a tangible sensation of your kingdom right now in the name of Jesus. A sensation to know that we are in the place, surely, where you are, God. The sensation may not be in words, it may be in a feeling, a sense might feel a little like a cold chill or, or something of the sort, maybe warmth, but you'll begin to feel that you are in the presence of God's manifest kingdom. If you sense that, just open your hand as a posture of saying, yes, Lord, I, I'm, I'm ready for more of this. May your kingdom come and your will be done. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. Come, Holy Spirit. Bring our minds to this present moment. Wait on you for a moment. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are faithful to come <clears throat> and to uh, awaken us to your dimension of reality. And if we have not been feeling, if you're someone here that you have not been feeling the goodness and benevolence of God existing in and through and as you, uh, I just speak transformation over you right now. Realize the transformation that is available to you in this moment. The goodness, the benevolence of the living, eternal God is available and accessible right now. Begin to ask the Holy Spirit to just come and transform your mind and your heart. And he may bring up a couple things that are specific to you that only you may know. Um, invite God's presence into that right now. The area of transformation to see with an eye that can see the eternal from his perspective. Set your mind above where Christ is seated to see the vantage point of the transformation in your life right now. I don't know what specific area that is, only you do. God does. Yeah. Thank you, Lord, for your transcending power. We ask that you would empower us, that you would fill us, that you would go before us in this week. And may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May his face shine upon you and give you grace and peace. In the name of Christ, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message. 
This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org, where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.